And as they're heading out for their fun things that are beginning right now, we are heading into some fun things that uh, is a conclusion of our series, Our Covenant God Is. Today, Our Covenant God Is All About Covenant Keeping. All About Covenant Keeping. I'm going to begin today with a story, and I'm going to read it, because um, if I just tell it, I'll mess it up. Uh, This comes from Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage. A businessman moved over slightly as a young man crowded into the airplane, good-natured, sorry, crowded into the airplane seat next to him. They both fastened their seatbelts, and the businessman good-naturedly inquired as to whether the young man was traveling on business or pleasure. Pleasure, the young man replied. I'm on my honeymoon. Your honeymoon? The businessman asked, mystified. Where's your wife? Oh, she's a few rows back. The plane was full, so we couldn't get seats together. The plane hadn't started rolling yet, so the businessman said, I'd be happy to change seats with her so that the two of you can be together. Oh, that's okay, the young man replied. I've been talking to her all week. (laughs) Now... What I'm about to put on the screen is not from his book. It's just some of my thoughts that will help us get rolling into our covenant keeping series. And I need to remind you that this series is not a marriage series, although covenant is a marriage. It's a covenant series which encompasses all of life. Um, We as People who are followers of Jesus have accepted the new covenant that Jesus initiated and made possible for us. Covenant keeping is implied by that uh, entry into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Covenant framework is a framework around which we understand all of life if we're followers of Jesus. So that's what this four weeks have, have been all about. It's more than just concepts that you'll learn that kind of stick in there. If we can really get a hold of this, it's our philosophy of life. It's a framework around everything. It's a framework around understanding everything in the Bible, God's will. And so I'm hoping that you have gotten a sense of that and I've handed out some handouts to help you get more from that from the first week on. If you've missed that handout, I urge you to get a hold of that. But I got a handout at the end of today as well that we're building towards. Now, that story leads well into this quote, which is on the screen. Some people think that covenant keeping is a grind. It's not. Life is a grind until we learn how to be covenant keepers. Now, that little uh, interchange on the airplane was like, oh, no, I've been talking to her all week, as if it's already a grind. And uh, that's what's humorous about that. No, no. Covenant keeping isn't a grind. Once you learn that that's what it's all about, it's going to become more and more joyful. And so we enter into a covenant keeping message. But I I think now would be a good time to just say, what exactly is covenant keeping? Now, I'm going to be throwing words at you, original text words today a little bit, and I've done this before, and I don't want to be apologetic or anything. I just am getting it out there because this is hard to understand stuff, and if you don't uh, memorize it or learn it, it's okay, but just kind of listen. 
there is a key word in all the Old Testament scriptures that is like a covenant-keeping word. It's, it's translated lots of different ways, but if you don't understand, it's like the key word for covenant-keeping, uh, then you kind of get um, lost in all its various translations. And so the, this word is hesed. I don't pronounce it correctly. Sometimes they spell it H-E-S-E-D in the scholar's works, but sometimes they put the little C in front of the capital H, chesed, but I don't know how to actually say it. Um, it's a word that is a covenant-keeping word. But throughout the scriptures, you find lots of different words to translate the word, words like loyalty, faithfulness, love, loving kindness, steadfastness, and a number of other words as well. And so it's a rich word, but once you understand the concept of covenant keeping, it goes, oh, I see why it's all these different words in these contexts, because covenant keeping is a response to a covenant making God and all these characteristics he's brought to us, and now he's expecting us to keep covenant the way he keeps covenant. And so this, that's just kind of simplistic um, overview before we keep going. Steadfastness, for example. Steadfastness is the idea of uh, follow-through, but you need to understand follow-through in terms of covenant keeping. You made commitments and promises, and those commitments and promises require follow-through, a steadfastness for your covenant keeping to carry you through beyond a week, right? And, and there's a life that you're entering into, a pattern of philosophy that you're in, entering into. Because of your covenant, you're going to change the behavior in this loyalty, this faithfulness, this love, this loving kindness, this, this steadfastness where it's continuing to bring to the table in life, in marriage, in everything, the characteristics that God brought to us in covenant. And so I wanted you to get a hold of that concept. God is a covenant-making God who is a also revealed himself as a covenant-keeping God. And so Deuteronomy is filled with God's hesed toward us. His mercy, his love, his loving kindness, his steadfastness, his um, all of those loyalty characteristics, he is a perfect covenant keeper is what we learn about him and learn what he is like. So being in covenant means keeping commitments like, on the screen, returning good for good received. Think about that a moment. If you have received a good from God, he's expecting you as you enter into covenant with him because he saved you, this is Old Testament or New Testament, because he saved you and made you his, he expects you to then return in kind with a goodness toward him, which he's done the good for you. So goodness for goodness received is a philosophy. Now, here's a real simple idea that I think can go a long way in marriage or in life. We need to be people who express our gratitude. It's not just common courtesy to say thank you. We need to be in the habit of saying thank you. When good is done to us, we should be saying thank you, which is a good re response back to the person who's done good for us. And said, doing good for good received, is bigger than saying thank you. It's starting to do good because you received good. This is covenant 
keeping at its core. Initiating good is a first move, creating the Hesed chain of reaction, or chain reaction. Uh, we here in modern times, this phrase, paying it forward, that's a Hesed concept. As God paid it to you, did this good to you, now you are in covenant with him, so you pay it forward to others. You should be thinking of phrases that Jesus said, like whenever you give a glass of cold water to one of the least of these, you've done it for me. Whenever you've done any good to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's a covenant concept because he's done this for us, given us mercy and grace. We need to be able to quickly be giving said to others because he's given us said. okay? So that's an important concept. Now, let's jump from Old Testament word said to New Testament words. There's many New Testament words that are used that are reflecting this same covenant-keeping concept. Now, in the New Testament, we got words like mercy and grace. I could have given it to you in Greek, but we get it in English and we understand. As God has given us mercy because he's a covenant-making God, that by itself is a merciful act to those of us who deserve judgment, not said which according to the Bible is all of us because we've raised our fist up to God in a rebellion against God in our sin. When he's created us for his design, we say, no, 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 I want to run my own design. I want to be my own boss, be my own God. Designer life, created for me. This is what I want to live. This is how I'm going to be happy. And God says, but I made you. I designed you. I designed you for this kind of life. Well, He's merciful to create a covenant with us to enter into and learn to respond to his love. So mercy is a covenant word in the New Testament, as is grace. But one that we often don't think in terms of covenant is probably the this, this key component of chesed, a counterpart in the New Testament, is agape. Agape is translated love, but it's a particular kind of love. It's a love that is an unconditional love, that you're loving people that don't necessarily deserve it. That's what we mean by unconditional. Why? Because God loved us that way. So he's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who loved us in a way that is merciful, and that's uh, huge from his perspective. His hesed is translated most often in the Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint, with the word for mercy. Because anytime he expresses covenant to us, it's mercy. But when we express covenant to somebody else, it's not because we're mercifully withholding judgment. No, it's because God was good to us. So for us, it's grace given because grace has been received. And grace given is agape love unconditionally. No strings attached. I love you anyway because God loved me anyway. And then Jesus sets us loose to initiate that kind of love in a pay-it-forward chain reaction because he's given us covenant-keeping kind of love. That's background. We're ready for point one. (laughs) Point one, Jesus shows us how. Jesus came to show us how to live out this covenant-keeping love. And to get at this, um, we'll just 
hear some of his words, and we hear words like this in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This will make sense in a moment as we move forward. So he calls disciples to follow him. He tells these disciples who are following him, if you want to be fully trained, you will become like me. Okay? In John 13.15, we read, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Just as he's done for us, this love unconditional, this agape, this grace, this mercy, we are to become like him and do this for others. So becoming like Jesus is, if you want to keep covenant, that's what you need to do, is this on the screen. I put it in simple terms. If you want to keep covenant, Imitate how Jesus thinks, feels, and acts. So really get to know Jesus so that you can get to know how he thinks, how he feels, and how he acts. And imitate that, and you'll begin to imitate the thinking, feeling, acting of covenant keeping. Here's the problem with that. We can't do it. The good news is that's not all that Jesus did. He didn't just show us how. And he was a perfect covenant keeper. He's the only person as a human being that was a perfect covenant keeper. Never failed. He was a perfect old covenant keeper. And he is also the model for new covenant keeping. He's the perfect Hesed liver, uh, not as in the organ. <laughs> and we are to learn what that looks like. The good news is point number two. Point number two is he's not just here to show us how. Jesus is how. He is how to be the covenant keeper. And this is where the mystery and the glory of the good news is found in the new covenant. We need to get a hold of this. So to get a hold of this, I'm kind of going around about a different way than I usually do. I want to highlight two of the many, many, many tiny words that are like the biggest words in the New Testament because of their attachment to the person of Jesus. There are tiny words used over and over and over again in the New Testament that attaches to Jesus himself that makes this concept of Jesus as the center of everything explode with meaning and power. And I just want to get this idea across to you. And so here are the tiny words. Tiny words like in, with, for, to, through are tiny words that are used for all kinds of things throughout the entire Bible, but we find them repeated over and over again this way, in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, to Christ, from Christ, through Christ. All these tiny words are used over and over again, modified by who he is, and it has explosive meaning for our lives, and I want to get this across to you, and I don't have time to do huge lengthy things, so I'm just going to pick one word, one verse, another word, another verse, and just talk that through a little bit with you just to give you an example. So this first one, in Christ, is 
repeated through the New Testament. Now, I didn't actually do a count, but in one of my searches, one way where I think it's far more than this because there's in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, so on and so forth, in him, I didn't even check that one out. It's at least more than 97 times, okay? So here's an example, Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ, Jesus. So, we've talked about how covenant always identifies the the parties that are in covenant. Those who are in Christ are the parties in covenant with Christ. Huge concept. You have to be in Christ to be in covenant with Christ. I just used two, two of those little words, okay? Then it explains in Christ this way, verse two, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, if you want the spirit in your life, you've gotta be in Christ Jesus. You are without the spirit of God in your life. You are dead spiritually if you're not uh, in Christ Jesus, accepting of the terms of the covenant and entering into covenant with Jesus Christ. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you've accepted the terms, and you enter into, by faith, a relationship with Jesus Christ where literally it is a union, like a marriage covenant, where two become one. You, if you have done that, then the Spirit of God is there in your life because of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So that's just a really quick, short explanation of this powerful concept in when it's connected with Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves and be sure of our answer. Am I in Christ Jesus? The way the covenant describes it. Because that's the only way to be sure that you are set free from the power of sin and death in your life. The next word of the many little words, and the only next word I'm gonna use today is the word for, and as it is connected with for Christ. And I think it's very instructive here. So in 2 Corinthians 5.15, we have a very orienting use of the word for. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So we're living for him because he died for us. This is the heart and center of covenant. He gave himself to us and allowed us to enter into covenant with him because... He's done this for us. If we receive what he's done for us, then everything changes about our whole motivation for everything we do. He died for us so that we could live for him. And notice what you're not living for anymore. And he died for all so that those of us, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Now, I've superimposed a compass behind 
I guess superimpose is not the right word. Put the compass behind the, the text here to let you know this is an orienting idea. And this is the orienting idea of covenant. God did this for me. And so, in covenant, it's expected and pledged and committed to do life for him. If you have never heard that, you're missing the idea which is central to covenant. That when you enter into covenant with Jesus, you're entering a life where you've made some promises. Promises to live for him. Now, some of you remember those promises. At the baptistry, we asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? Yes. Are you willing to serve him and follow him as Lord? Yes. That was your pledge. That was your commitment. Life is all about for him now, no longer about for me. And Jesus teaches us now to pray. Not my will, but your will be done. As he prayed in Gethsemane, laid his life down for the purpose of God's will, we're laying ourselves down for the purpose of following Christ and his will. In the model prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not for us and my kingdom anymore. It's for his kingdom and his will, which is a covenant concept. It's covenant keeping. It's what we have pledged ourselves to. And so I want to talk that through with us. So, but following the will of God is not as complex as we make it. I mean, it is not like you need to graph out with the Bible as the map and your compass of, uh, uh, with the map, then figure out how to get from here to where I'm going 20 years from now, aim it all out and get it figured out. No, every day you're living for Christ. And day by day, by the Spirit of Christ leading you to live for Christ, he's creating your story. To the degree that you don't live for Christ and live for yourself, you make that a lot of detours and a lot of pain. But he'll keep drawing you back in confession, drawing you back to him to live out life for Christ. When we say, I'm in... I want to follow Jesus. It's all for Christ because Christ gave his life for you. And that's a covenant-keeping concept. Are we meriting anything? No. Are we earning anything when we live for Christ? No. He's given us life. It's a life of thank you expressed as living sacrifices within my body that is offered back to him because he sacrificed himself for me. I will lay my life down and live my life of sacrifice for him is a covenant concept. Covenant keeping. So Jesus shows us how. Jesus is how. And point number three, covenant always requires commitment. Here's where I think the message is lost all across America. I don't know about other countries very well. I do know that the way we do it in America, we, we say, hey, 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 it's just as simple as this. Raise your hand, pray the prayer. Good, you're in. And then we just let people flounder. In persecuted country, they won't let them do that. You got to count the cost all up front and be ready to die up front. And are you ready to die up front? And they load up all of what it means to follow Jesus. Is this what you're ready for? And then you say yes. And Jesus did that. Says, you want to be my disciple? You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You ready for that? You ready to count the cost? 
he didn't just paint an easy picture. He painted a picture of reality that life is a grind, but covenant keeping is not. It's hard living for Christ in this world. He's very honest about it, but I'm going to help you. My yoke is easy. I'll carry the weight. You ready to follow me? You'll learn that's a joy. The measure of my joy, I'm going to full measure, give it to you. Are you ready for that commitment? And that he talks about that. Now, so with every covenant, marriage as an example, there's that questioning. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded bride? And there's the answers. And there is a pledges made, the vow, the commitment made in the questioning and the answers. In the covenant with the law of Moses, it was the same way. You'll listen to Moses question the people. They give their answer, and then there's ceremony. What's the ceremony of marriage, by the way? It's a wedding. What's the ceremony uh, with the law of Moses? They questioned, then answered, then he splattered them with blood. I'm glad I'm in the new covenant. But it's very similar. There's the questioning, there's the answering, and then there's being buried into the death of Jesus and being raised out of the death of Jesus through baptism where we made our pledge. Now I'm going to jump into a verse that when I read the scholars, it's like, whoa, they call this the most notoriously difficult verse in the New Testament. And they don't know what to do with it. And I want to help you kind of walk through this notoriously difficult verse that talks about new covenant commitment. 1 Peter 3.21 reads, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it is a difficult verse. It's a difficult verse because on the surface, it sounds like it's saying baptism saves you. And everything inside of us resists the idea that water can save you. And rightly so. But is that what it's saying? It's not saying the water ceremony saves you. And it's not even saying your, com- your own commitment saves you. And neither do I believe the Bible says as if the power of my faith saves me. Faith connects with what Jesus did that saves us. Baptism connects with what Jesus did that saves us. Our commitment connects with what Jesus did committing to save us. And so we need to make sense of what this is saying. Context is absolutely necessary every single time you're trying to understand a difficult passage. And I didn't give you context. So let me give you context. Baptism which corresponds to this. This what? So if we back up to the very previous verse to this, it's talking about the days of Noah. First Peter 3.20, it says, in the days of Noah, in it, the ark, eight people were saved through water. Eight people were saved through water in the days of Noah. Then it says, but baptism, which corresponds to this, saved through water, just like Noah and the eight total were saved through the water in Baptism of the flood, the ark saved them. What saves us is being in Christ. We've already talked about that. Being in Christ saves us. And so how does baptism save? It's just like, um, I hate it when I try to rely on memory because it's so unreliable now. There was this... uh, 
I should probably look this up before next service. There was this really handy-dandy grammatical term that talked about the use of a part to relate to the whole. I'm going to venture a guess. I think it's synecdoche, but I have to look it up. If you use a part to relate to the whole, to reference the whole, there's, there's a term for that. So like when one verse says, all you got to do is confess and you're saved. It's using a part of the whole to relate to the whole. And that's what saves you. But the whole is this repentance, believing, confession, baptism, commitment, wrapped all around Jesus is the whole. It's this conversion in Jesus that's the whole that saves us. And so I want to now key in on what does this word pledge mean? But the pledge of a good conscience. Now, some translations translate the word appeal because they're struggling over what is this? It's like... I don't get it, and I just want to say it's not as difficult as that. It really is translated pledge so many places. It's this question and answer pledge. When somebody asks you, are you ready for this? And you say, yes, we commit to that. That, that from that point forward, there, it's a binding kind of promise that we have made, and baptism is exactly that. So it is our pledge to maintain a good conscience before him, and serve Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. So if you have not been baptized by your own pledge, not your parents' pledge, committing you to Jesus Christ, but by your own pledge, committing yourself to Jesus Christ, say, I'm going to maintain a good conscience before my Lord and King. When I mess up, I'm coming back to him and asking for his grace. I want to maintain a good conscience. I'm not going to continue to live in sin with one hand and hold the hand of Jesus at the same time and pretend everything is okay. The Spirit of God won't let you do that, by the way. And if you sear your conscience with this calloused heart, you continue on into just making this thing make nonsense to you. I'm gonna think, I think you'll just start to have a, a meltdown internally and not, this doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you're not working it. You've got to work the confession and get back to the center and confess your sins again and get back to the very idea that Jesus died for this and took it away. Live as if it's so. And then you can feel the rush of the Spirit come back in because you turn from rebellion to Jesus again. That this is what we're talking about. It's this pledge to maintain a good conscience, to turn to Jesus and trust him again and walk by his power. You're not promising to be able to do this on your own. You can't. I just said that. You're promising to do this by walking with the Spirit and maintain a pledge of a good conscience. So we're no longer living for self, but for Jesus. We pray his kingdom come, his will be done. We live for his, the success of the gospel, and we pursue Christ-likeness. Now, I'm rapidly putting things together. I want to put a diagram in front of you. Um, a lot of people think of Christ-likeness only in terms of the bottom tier, and they think that's the whole deal. Uh, they think that they want to live like Christ, and all that means for them is they want to live a good life. They want to not do bad things and do good things. They don't want to do sins and be one of those guys. They don't want to break the laws of the Moses, and they want to be uh, one of the good guys with a white hat and not one of the bad guys and go to heaven. Folks, that's not what being like Christ is. That's just the bottom tier of being moral, like he is moral. The next level up is when your whole identity shifts and you want to think and feel and act like Jesus because that's the new you. 
if you don't become a new you and you just want to continue to do your life your way by your design, that shift hasn't taken place. You don't have a good conscience before God. You're still being your own demagogue. You need to say, you are God. I am your servant. I am following you. I will be your servant. Whatever you say goes. Not my will, your will be done. When that shift takes place, joy begins to flood you in learning covenant keeping how joyful it is to serve others instead of serve yourself. To give instead of always live for me, 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 me. And learning how joyful it is to live there by the power of the Spirit operative through your life. But that's not even the upper level of what it means to be like Christ. The upper level of what it means to be like Christ is the mission level. So you move from the moral level to the meaning level to the mission level, and you can do it all in one fell swoop. And at the mission level, your purpose for life begins to match Jesus' purpose for life. He's building a kingdom here. And you now are becoming a part of that building effort. As he initiated love and unconditional love to people who don't deserve love, you're doing the same thing because you're in kingdom building activities just like he's in kingdom building activities. And in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap this up and call us all to commitment. I've never done this before, but I'm going to try it. Okay? So get ready to make a commitment. You don't believe me. Would all of you who have already made a commitment to Jesus and officially made a commitment to us here at Verde Valley Christian Church in membership, please stand. Hey, thank you. If you've already made a commitment to Jesus and yet have not officially made a commitment to Verde Valley Christian Church as a member of this church, but you consider this church your church of choice, would you please stand? Okay, thank you. If you are interested in pursuing Jesus and what a commitment to Jesus means, please stand. If you don't know where you stand, but you're interested in more, and you're at least willing to look at a handout that I'm going to hand out, or somebody's going to hand out as you leave today, to consider what this looks like to make a commitment to Jesus and to commitment to Verde Valley Christian Church. If you're at least willing to consider that, would you please stand? I, I think there was a taker. All right. If you're online, there is going to be a PDF that you can access. And whether you stand or not, I'm hoping that you are motivated to access this PDF. Here's what we're going to do with this PDF. Here's what's happened over the course of this past year. We have had our assimilation processes so disrupted by COVID, they're not built back into place. There's a lot of you who have not even been given the opportunity to let us know, hey, I'd like to make this my church, but I don't even know how. Well, that's on us because we haven't rebuilt the process to make that really work 
Well, we are used to in the past having a meal together and connecting coaches with every newbie so they can meet with each other and make that happen. We're hoping to rebuild there in the future. This is a provisional thing that we're doing right now, right here today, hoping that this will grow from here and become a powerful thing. Um, that if you take this document, at, there's nine pages, I think it is. The last page is the commitment. The other pages have the commitment built in so you can see what commitment you're making. If you read it and say, I'd like to make this commitment, um, I want you to do so. Sign it, bring it back next week. I don't promise this next week, but some of you have asked, how do I get those nifty shirts that people get after they're baptized where it says, I'm all in, Verde Valley Christian Church, okay? I haven't even talked to our staff about making that order, so it's not going to be here next week. But I'd love to hand these out to everybody that makes a commitment. Now, don't make the commitment for a shirt, okay? <laughs> it's just sort of a bonus that we want to just let everybody remember this thing that you've done and that you are really all in because Jesus was all in for you. So if you're already a member, it would encourage me to know you're with us, whether you're online or in person, that you are with us and you're all in you, and, and bring your commitment back to us. And you'll maybe encourage you as you read through the stuff that it's never been put together in this written form before um, to just kind of get a hold of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, committed to this church and what this church is about. So that's how I'm concluding today. On your way out, we have some people that will hand out those handouts. I hope you all will feel like you can take it no matter where you are. Even if you didn't stand up, feel free to take one of these. And if you'd like prayer for any reason at all, we have a prayer team to the right of the stage. Let me close in prayer before you go. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this series. We thank you for being being a God who makes covenants, who is all about relationships and has done everything necessary for us to have an intimate and personal relationship with you. I pray that somehow this tool, this simple document with words and ideas will be a tool that points us to all of the truths and realities that you've given us that are infallible, that draw us into a place of walking with you with greater commitment and greater confidence and greater joy. I pray that there'll be many, many people making these commitments, that we can celebrate these commitments together for the next few weeks and just uh, celebrate that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great day.